Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, Jake. Yes, sir. Did you know it is our anniversary month? How long have we been married? (laughs) No, the show. Oh. Yes. Yeah, I did know The that, show's actually. anniversary. We are turning six years old, and to celebrate that- We're going to first grade. We're <laughs> close. We're giving a discount on our Patreon. If you join the year-long subscription to the Patreon, you can get 15% off during the month of May. You can find out everything about our Patreon at patreon.com slash thecritshow, but all tiers for the month of May are 15% off when you sign up for the annual membership. Is that as exciting as first grade? You know, now that I'm kind of remembering back to first grade, that's far better than first grade. Safety is an important element of any tabletop game, especially in a horror-themed one. Content warnings for this Let's Play of Starhold are Violence Injury Death Darkness The Ocean Dark Water Loss Needles Fire And Body Horror Hey everybody, welcome to The Crit Show. I am your Crit Show host and GM Rev, but today we are here for a different purpose. Today we are here to teach you about Starhold, a new Powered by the Apocalypse game written by someone who we'll talk to in just a moment. Uh, But first, around the table I am joined by... Hi, I'm Jake. I'm Kim. I'm Megan. And I'm Tass. And running this game today is the creator of Starhold, Rem. Rem, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you guys today? Awesome. And this excited. I'm so excited. So I guess the first question that I have is, what is Starhold? So Starhold is a game obviously influenced by, uh, powered by Apocalypse games like Monster of the Week, Apocalypse World, um, some other kind of hacks that I really enjoyed reading through, such as The Warren. Um, it is something that is based off of these systems. But when I was going through the systems looking for things to play, a lot of them were sci-fi and a lot of them were horror, but none of them really matched up to what I wanted from those games. Um, I was really looking for something that kind of melded my love of survival horror along with my love for sci-fi. And um, none of them really quite met what I was hoping to get out of it. Um, which is not to say that they aren't great games in and of their own right. What they create for their particular game is amazing. It just wasn't meeting what I wanted. Um, so I, after a lot of thought and a lot of like going through games and playing, I came up with Starhold, which was supposed to be something that kind of melded the two genres together in something that would be pretty familiar to people who kind of love those kinds of stories. It's very 
kind of sci-fi survival in space, living on the margins, trying to learn how to accept a life that is full of danger, but also like this kind of terrible awe. You know, you'd said people being familiar with that kind of story. What were some of your influences for Starhold? I think the biggest influences that are pretty obvious from right off the bat are Alien, um, Mass Effect, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, even though that's not out in space. It is very much that kind of self-contained sci-fi horror um, sense of no escape, like you're kind of stuck in this place and you have to deal with the danger and you can't really just go wherever you need to go to escape. You have to face it. You know, one of the things that I find when we talk to people who have created their own Powered by the Apocalypse game is that there's always a handful of here are the little things that I have added that I love. Um, You know, when you think about like luck or, um, you know, spout lore, is there something that sticks out to you as a mechanic that you have come up with for this that is one of your favorites? Yeah, uh, I think my favorite mechanic that I kind of came up with for this game is uh, sabotage. It's not used very often, but when it is used by the players, it's really interesting because it's one of the few mechanics that is mainly used player to player, Um, not really used, you know, NPCs or monsters or any of that. It's very much about like, I see this person doing something And I'm going to mess with it. And I think that that's an interesting kind of dynamic to bring into it that's not really PvP much, but it's also not exactly friendly, if that makes sense. Okay. Well, we won't give too much of that away because I imagine we may see it in action here in a moment. Um, So before we get into that, can you let everybody know where can they find Starhold? You can find Starhold at starholdrpg.com. Um, if you're looking to follow us on social media, we are active on Starhold RPG on Twitter. And you can also find our store pages on Gumroad, which is linked on our website, as well as uh, once the actual game is released, you're going to be able to find us on Drive-Thru RPG under SM Noble. All right. Well, thank you. I think it is time to get into the game. So the first thing we do in Starhold is create our spacer. Uh, we do this by picking a playbook. Um, picking some moves if you're not playing a variant and, uh, figuring out a little bit about the person that you're playing, etc. So why don't we start with Jake? Uh, tell us a little bit about your spacer. Uh, sure. So I am playing the specialist. Uh, in fact, I am playing the variant of the weapons expert. Uh, so my spacer is named, uh, Oakley Northwood. He goes by North for short. Um, and he is a private security specialist. Um, he, he works on one of the colonies. He works for kind of the people in charge, um, handling some of the more high profile, like security bits and bobs that need taken care of special jobs. And other than that, just kind of broadly oversees things. Uh, but he's, uh, real handy with a gun, uh, specifically real handy with a long rifle. So yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the playbook a bit, which one you picked? Yeah, so uh, the the weapons expert specialist, um, as as the name would imply, is an expert with weapons. Um, so they get a couple of stock moves by default that replace like the choosable specialist moves. Uh, one of them is a move called Bianca, uh, where you know you love all of your guns, but really you love one more than any other. Uh, so you get to pick which weapon that is, and you take a bonus to your uh, plus hand rolls whenever you use it in a fight. The other move is my other smaller gun. So whenever someone tries to disarm you, 
you can roll plus head, and if you do good, you manage to stash another weapon somewhere on your person, and they don't find it. Or you did manage to stash it, but you also don't find it. Um, <laughs> That's so great. The uh, the weapons expert gets to add a space to the map. Uh, in this case, it is predefined as the armory. Um, so I place two stockpile, defend, engage, ready up, attack from, and survive. Yep, and we will be covering uh, mapping a little bit later, but that is definitely something that is good to keep in mind. Yes, and I get a uh, a special move, a special piece of gear. Um, it is my signature weapon. It is the weapon that I have spent my time crafting, and I have decided this is it. This is the one for me. So the weapon that I have designed, uh, it is a distance weapon, so it does two harm. Uh, I pick two pros and two cons. The pros that I picked are bright, it blinds the target, and brutal, nearby enemies are intimidated. The cons are unwieldy and extremely dangerous to handle. Um, So I I picture this kind of like scale-wise, kind of like the Lancers from Gears of War. Just a big, mean, fuck-off two-handed gun. Um, yes, that, that blasts like hell. I love it. Beyond that, uh, as far as stats go, just kind of, I've got, I've got zero head plus two hand minus two heart, zero group plus two tech. Uh, so not the sharpest and not the most empathetic, but pretty good at shooting and pretty good with his items. Nice. And, uh, you don't need to go too far into it, but, uh, what was, uh, North doing before he started working in this particular area did he have like a a job he was doing uh north was just kind of a he was a merc he was like a traveling okay. gun he was for hire um so he's been you know training shooting like his whole life uh he is not like military or special forces or anything like that never has been he's kind of a cowboy um so he he shoots for the fun of shooting and he likes being good at it um and he just got kind of shockingly good at it to the point that he earned a reputation people would hire him for it and this is kind of one of the first like salary jobs like payroll jobs uh that i think he's ever held he is not usually this stable uh and tied down of a person okay yeah i love it that's great all right how about kim why don't you tell us a little bit about your spacer uh moves etc sure i am playing callista gray And I am playing the leader playbook, but specifically the diplomat variant of that playbook. I love the flavor text of this. A politician by nature with a hidden agenda that they may, that they might argue is for the greater good. Charming and intelligent, but not always trustworthy. Uh, So the diplomat's moves are diplomatic immunity. People think you're an easy target, but they're wrong. When someone tries to harm you, roll plus group to see if your bodyguard will save you. On a 10+, plus, your bodyguard knocks you out of the way safely. On a miss, both you and your bodyguard have to deal with the consequences. And my other starting move is Skilled Negotiator. Not everything is answered by a fight. When you try to negotiate a peaceful solution with a sapient hostile force, roll plus head. On a 10+, plus, they halt their attack for now. On a 7-9, to nine, they need proof of your intentions before they'll stand down. On a miss, things turn out worse than if you hadn't tried to negotiate at all. Which brings up my variant's special move, which is I have an ally. Specifically, I have a bodyguard. Callista is accompanied everywhere by a bodyguard that she calls Six. 
because she's been through five of them. So uh, Six, uh, I got to give her um, some weapons and armors. So Six has a plasma pistol and some ceramic arm guards and hopefully will take a bullet for me if I need her to. Awesome. Um, So before we move on, uh, tell me a little bit about the planet that uh, Callista calls home and like what kind of government or agency or corporation she's representing. Callista is an emissary from a colony called Arcadia, which is, I think, one of the largest colonies in the system. And because of that, it's got uh, it's got a lot of tech. It's got a lot of people, but it's always running a little short of resources uh, because there are so many people. And so Callista is on this specific mission to try to make an important alliance with another colony that is very rich in resources. She's trying to be the sort of first person to make a positive contact in order to try to uh, establish important uh, trade negotiations. Okay, sounds really excellent. And my stats are plus one head, zero hand, plus two heart, plus two group, minus one tech. Uh, So very good at negotiating, very good at being able to sort of um, get insight into people, not super good in combat and not very good when it comes to using um, like items and technology. Excellent. I love it. Uh, Megan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yours? Uh, I am playing the stowaway, uh, specifically the variant, the kid. Uh, So my flavor text is whether by accident or on purpose, you're stuck in this place now and you're going to have to make the best of it if they don't throw you out the airlock first, which hopefully they don't because I am a 10-year-old child uh, named (laughs) Tara Lake. Uh, And Tara is the daughter of the governor of uh, the colony that she's from. Uh, And she has been sent away. Uh, She's not sure why, but she was told that she had to leave and she was not happy about that. So she snuck back on the rocket ship that she was uh, that she was taken away on. Uh, so as the stowaway, my two moves are escape hatch. You know all the vents and crawl spaces of this place like the back of your hand. When you need to make a quick escape, roll plus head. On a 10 plus, you get out no issues. On a 7 to 9, you'll leave something important behind. And on a miss, you're caught in the attempt. Uh, and my second move is get away from them. You don't want anyone to get hurt because of you. If someone is trying to protect you from an enemy, you get one free hit on the enemy that inflicts one harm. And the uh, the kid gets a keepsake or a companion. You don't have a lot of comforts that most kids get, but you do have your companion. It can be a real animal or a toy of some kind. Pick two tags from the list below and add your companion to your gear list. As long as you have your companion with you when you take a stress, you can choose to roll plus heart. On any kind of success, you don't take the stress. On a miss, something happens to your companion and they are unavailable for the rest of the crisis. Uh, So Tara has a stuffed animal that is a small stuffed possum named Opie. Oh my god, so cute. I love possums. And the two descriptive tags that I have for Opie are old and ugly. Uh, He was... (laughs) He was passed on to her from uh, her her grandfather, um, and it's just a toy that he had when he was a young boy, and it's been passed down to her. So it is kind of like like there's one button for one eye, and the other eye is missing, and it's just kind of uh, 
kind of dirty. Um, a lot of people don't take too kindly to, to possums, so she uses that to her advantage because she uses him to play a lot of pranks on people. Um, with my escape hatch move, uh, she's kind of kept under under lock and key in the, the governor's suite. Her parents try to keep her out of a lot of political associations, uh, but she likes to sneak out and explore the colony at night. So that is why she is so familiar uh, with this place that she's from. And she takes Opie with her and uh, he helps her out in some some spots. That's adorable. And I love it so much. And the space that I get as the stowaway is a secret room, a place to hide, to plot, to escape, to maintain, to store. Uh, And uh, for armor, I have a half helmet. Uh, So she has a little like aviator style helmet that she uh, wears around when she's sneaking. That does one armor. And for weapons, she has a folding knife that she also got from her grandfather. And she carries around some smoke bombs that she made herself. I was going to ask if she also got those from her grandfather. (laughs) Was grandpa just like reaching into pouches arbitrarily and handing her weapons and armor and just going, fuck them up, child. (laughs) Grandpa Lake is like a doomsday prepper. (laughs) (laughs) You must be prepared. And lastly, my stats are two head, zero hand, one heart, zero group, and negative one tech. Okay. Uh, That is the most adorable. (laughs) And I love it. Possums are one of my favorites, so I'm Same. not playing favorites. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, all right. Last but certainly not least, uh, Tass, tell us a little bit about your spacer. Okay, I will. I am a toy possum. <laughs> <laughs> He's playing Opie. <laughs> uh, no, I will be playing Mr. Q, the Augmented. And specifically, I have also taken a variant, uh, the variant playbook, the Almost Human. Um, and yeah, the, the flavor text is wonderful on this too. There's something not quite human about this one, but no one can really pinpoint why. Whatever their true identity, they struggle to gain the trust of those around them. So yeah, Mr. Q is a bioengineered human. Um, there is a company called Watani Corporation uh, that essentially does this. They, they create people and they alter them with alien dna and so mr q to date is one of the most successful versions of this he came out kind of the the most normal looking but still not quite um he is unnaturally tall and thin and he's got almost opaque white skin like like true eggshell white you know can see the veins uh everywhere on him kind of situation completely hairless and he always wears this very distinct uh, black and gray rubber bodysuit. And uh, so I went with the almost human with this theme because I just I really like these moves that come with it. Um, I like to think that the reason he has these abilities is because of whatever it was that he was engineered to have. It's from the alien life um, that they pumped into him. Um, so the first move is looking for me. Sometimes the best way to get by is to blend in, and you have the uncanny ability to do it at will. Whenever you need to hide in plain sight, roll plus tech. On a 10+, plus, you disappear to all senses and sensors until you move. On a 7 to 9, you're mostly hidden. And on a miss, 
you think you're hidden, but you're not, <laughs> which is amazing. Uh, and it also comes with mind trick. You can't explain it, but sometimes you can sense what people are thinking. Uh, roll head instead of heart whenever you try to get a feeling from someone. Uh, and he also comes with a trouble. Um, so sometimes your abilities get you into trouble. So I get to uh, pick a unique aspect about myself. One good thing that I like and uh, a couple of things that are consequences. Uh, so the positive is empathetic. So I get a plus one to tech when I'm performing first aid. Uh, I think the spin on that is, you know, as he got old enough to kind of become an operative for the corporation, um, they just contract him out. They want to get the word out that they're doing this and they have this service. Um, and so I think he went with uh, like a military contract or something kind of basic to go out in the field and and learn basics. And he discovered that he was quite good as a medic. So that's where he's gotten most of his experience. His consequences are you don't understand why people find your abilities frightening and it pains you. And when I look at the stars, I feel a deep, terrible longing that I can't vocalize or explain. I think that's a little bit of that alien DNA too. Something's calling to him from the void. So yeah, Mr. Q is uh, kind of here looking for something to make a little permanent, like a job that can also be uh, maybe a home for him, like a, this this contract that will be lasting as opposed to all of the sort of testing that he's been doing to um, manifest his abilities so far. Um, so the space marked for the augmented is an observation deck, a place to look, wonder, feel small, and contemplate. I love that. Um, I have chosen kind of practical tactical gear so he has a tactical flashlight and a magnum and the stats are plus two head plus one hand zero heart minus two group and plus one tech awesome but i'm so down for this <laughs> so uh speaking of spaces um one of the kind of unique things about starhold when i was writing it is that i really wanted it to be very location focused um it's really influenced by the fact that like if you watch a lot of sci-fi if you watch a lot of horror locations are kind of their own character um so for example if you think of like the overlook hotel the nostromo or twin peaks these places are as much of a part of the story as the people that are in them um so in starhold we try to replicate that and we also kind of try to replicate the kind of claustrophobia that comes from living in the margins of space um, there's really very little separating your spacer from like total annihilation. And that sense of claustrophobia kind of gets infinitely worse when that space is suddenly no longer secure. And because Starhold is a collaborative game, I really wanted to make map making be collaborative too. So every spacer's playbook, as you guys have already given examples of, have their own spaces that are associated with the uh, characters. This can be uh, an actual map that you create when you're in the middle of like making a session, or it can just be a list. And because I'm really lazy, I usually just do lists. <laughs> so uh, on the colony, as we've already described, you guys have spaces. Let's go over them really quickly again for the ones that you have assigned to your playbook. And then in addition to that, you also get to pick one extra space that is added to the map. Um, so go ahead and tell us, uh, remind us of what your space was on your playbook and then tell us what you picked uh my space was the armory 
uh, place to stockpile, defend, engage, ready up, attack from, and survive. Um, and then I get to pick one additional one from the list. Uh, I will also add the cafeteria. Okay, excellent. Sure. So the leader's space is headquarters, a place to command from, to plan, to gather, to regroup. And then the additional space that I would like to add is the communications room. As the stowaway, I have the secret room as my space, a place to hide, to plot, to escape, to maintain, to store. And for my bonus, I would like to add the marketplace. Excellent. And mine was the observation deck, a place to look, to wonder, to feel small, and to contemplate. Uh, And I added a greenhouse. That is absolutely necessary on a colony. Yeah. Everybody's picks feel a little bit more utilitarian, like a little bit more important than mine. I just wanted the, I just wanted <laughs> food. You took cafeteria. That was going to be my yeah. first pick. People got to eat. It's a thing. Um, so in addition to you all getting to pick an additional space along with your uh, kind of assigned one for your playbook, I, as the speaker, also get to pick some spaces. And I kind of get to fill out what I think is... Uh, necessary for the game and what kind of fills in some gaps that are not covered by the ones that are already on the list. So my additions to the map are the infirmary, the lab, the research room, living quarters, a mining shaft, which is a custom location, processing plant, maintenance, and a generator room. And so uh, these are the spaces that we have. And so you don't need to obviously worry about like, you know, ventilation shafts, bathrooms, any of those kind of things that would naturally come with a living space. But aside from that, once your map has been made, this is the map. And that kind of contributes to the sense of claustrophobia that there's really nowhere else for you to escape. Um, if you don't have it, it's not there. Um, so that's, yeah, that's our colony. Speaking of. What are we going to name this colony? This is your choice. It's where you're going to be. Uh, tell us, what do you think would be a good name? Indianapolis. <laughs> God, no, oh. please. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, can we know what it's like a little? Yes. Um, so the colony is actually a mining colony situated on a planet called Granis. And this planet has no atmosphere, but it is covered in ice. And under this ice is an ocean. That is full of organic chemicals, of thermal vents, just all kinds of nice things making it perfect to live in, but not on. So you can't really live on top of the planet. So the colony itself is essentially bolted to the underside of this thick ice crust. And there is a large mining shaft that goes all the way down to the sea floor where they mine for these really precious resources that... uh that Callista Gray has come to kind of negotiate for. Give them to me. I love it <laughs> so much. Yeah, this is so cool. We're underwater and in space. Sort I think, of. I think we should we- name it It's a Stalactite parentheses, but not a real stalactite close parentheses. Bill. <laughs> 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 What's the difference between stalactite and stalagmite? That's the that's the name. That's the, the name question. of the colony. <laughs> yeah. Iceberg. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, B-U-R-G-H. Iceberg. Oh, no. I vote for iceberg. Just kidding. Ignore me. (laughs) 
Uh, I mean, it could be, you know, like they name newer places, whatever, QA-11432, parentheses, iceberg. That, yeah. I want you to have to say that full name, though, the entire time. <laughs> I don't even remember what I said. <laughs> yes. So I will give you this if it helps. The planet itself is named after the uh, Celtic god of oceans and hot springs. So Grannis is the Celtic god of oceans and hot springs. I'm now, though, really into this idea of like, it's not like it's a colony. It's not like fully incorporated yet or whatever so it hasn't technically gotten a name it's gotten like its classification code and just colloquially we call it iceberg i love it i mean i'm willing i'm more than willing like nobody's putting that on a street sign but it's it's what it's called eventually the name will change we'll get a real name later but right now we just we have a number we have a we have a code and we're like Nobody wants to say all that. We're going to call it Iceberg. Teehee. I want to say all that. What's the code again? <laughs> L-T-D-A-N. <laughs> no. No, not that. God damn it. I had to write it oh, before I got it. Oh, my God. <laughs> like halfway through it, I'm like, yeah, L-T. As soon as you said uh, T, I was like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, uh, shit. CR-4079. Okay. CR-4079, also known as Iceberg. Yes. <laughs> B-U-R-G-H. So the next thing we're going to talk about is establishing connections. Spacers always know each other. This is just kind of a way of cutting out that awkward introduction, meeting up at the tavern phase that a lot of, you know, uh, role-playing games kind of establish at the beginning um, so that we can really just get straight into the game. Um, that doesn't mean that all your spacers like each other. Or that even everybody knows everything about everyone. But it just means that they're all aware of each other and at least one significant relationship with another spacer is established. It can be a positive significant relationship, like a close friend or a lover, um, or it can be a negative one, like a professional rival or an ex. And these relationships get quantified into a number, which then serves as our connection stat which is a unique stat uh, out of all the other ones. It's not on your main list because it's always different and it's always based off of um, kind of what you establish with the other players. Um, and this stat is used for only two very specific moves. It's used when you assist another spacer or when you try to sabotage another spacer or counter a sabotage from another spacer. And those are the uh, two moves that are really just kind of spacer to spacer moves. Um, so you kind of use that connection to say whether you have an advantage at this or whether you have a disadvantage at this. Um, so yeah, so what we're going to do is we're going to go around and you guys have a list of questions on your playbooks that you can use to ask each other to kind of establish those relationships. You can also make up a question if you feel like it. Um, and you get to decide whether or not the answer to that question is a positive one or a negative one so like when you look at the questions on the playbook it'll say like are you impressed by me for like uh the weapon specialist going off the top of my head and it might say plus or minus two that means that based off of the answer you get to decide whether or not that kind of response is one that your spacer would be positive about or be negative about so with that in mind yeah let's start with jake okay I think the most obvious one for me to ask first, uh, I'm going to ask of Mr. Q. Uh, can we talk shop? By which I mean, like, you're you're kind of part of the Weapon X program, and I like guns. Like, do we have things to chat about? 
Yeah, I think we absolutely do. Um, you know, he had joined up with the military just literally on a contract. Like, he's not technically military, but he's there working for them. Um, so I think he knows enough about guns and warfare and, and has seen a little bit of action. And um, yeah, I think they would definitely have a connection there. All right. Uh, I think I consider that a good thing. Uh, so that will be a plus one with Mr. Q. For Callista, have I impressed you? Not yet. Okay. <laughs> Is that the end? Is that all? You're just going to... I mean... Just going to do me like, like that? That's enough. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do you like that. Um, Then that, I think that's a bad thing. Um, So that one is a negative two, actually, with Callista. For Tara, I feel like I partially need to establish what our what our relationship is. I have the thought in my head that it was my job to escort you wherever you were supposed to go away to. Well, you're doing a bang up job because yeah. I'm back. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, does that does that seem good? Like if if we were to have if the gun dude and the kid were to have a relationship, does it seem kind of like I would be like the the escort, the babysitter? I am more than happy to be your baby Yoda. Okay. Okay. Um, so the question that I've got remaining for you then is, do we get along? Yes. Yes. I think so. Okay. So despite the fact that I took you away from home. Yeah. I think that she is definitely annoyed at being taken away from home because she does not want to be away from home, but she thinks uh, your ridiculously oversized weapon is like really cool. Okay. Um, I think that is also a positive then. So that will give me a plus two with Tara. All right. So my connection questions. Tara, would you lie to me? Absolutely. Yeah, without, without, <laughs> without a second thought. Yeah, that's going to be a negative one for Tara. Um, North, do you trust me? I feel like no. That's probably not personal. I don't think I trust most people. That's fair. Um, so that's a negative two for North. Um, Mr. Q. Yes. Are you a trusted confidant? Um, yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I think if she feels like she can confide in him or wants to for whatever reason, he's not used to people wanting to talk to him. So he would absolutely. Yeah, I feel like um, Watani Corp is probably has some sort of headquarters or some sort of presence on the colony that she is from. So uh, she would probably know a little bit about what uh, what Mr. Q's abilities are. And that would definitely be someone that she would want to keep close uh, in a in a clutch situation. So, yeah, I could go with that. That's a plus three. Nice. OK. OK, uh, Megan. All right, Callista, will you welcome me? Do I know that you're the governor's daughter? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> I don't want anyone to know so they don't lock me back up. Yeah, if if I knew that you were the governor's daughter, then uh, then then yes, because I would uh, all of a sudden you would become very, very important. Not that you're not important, Megan. You're you're very important to me. Okay, are you talking um, to Megan just... or are you talking to Tara? <laughs> no, talking to Megan here. Talking to Tara, just a, a, ra a random kid just suddenly appearing. No, 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 no. I would not know where you are, where you came from. You would not be welcome. All right, that's a negative two. Uh, North, are you angry I'm here? We're presuming this is post-failed delivery, right? Yes. I don't think I'm angry. 
I'm just disappointed. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think I'm angry. I might be peeved. Like, I might be irked, but I'm not, like, mad about it. Cool. That's a plus one. All right. And Mr. Q, do you think I should leave? Oh, uh, yeah. Yes. Um, I, I don't think it's anything, like, personal. I just think he has a very clinical mind of, like, if there was a reason that you're stowing away here, or if he even knows that you were supposed to be sent away in the first place, uh, either way, it's like, no, you you don't need to be here. This is probably dangerous and a bad choice, so bad call, kid. <laughs> okay, well, she's probably not crazy about that, so that's going to be a negative three with Mr. Q. Oh. Whoa. Oh, boy. Right. Okay, uh, Tass, what about Mr. Q? Uh, North, do you accept me? Yeah, I don't see why I wouldn't. Okay, that's a plus two. Tara, do I unsettle you? Uh, no. I think with Tara's excursions into the colony, she's been around a lot of different type of people, so I'm assuming you're not the first person she's seen that has some alien qualities, so no, I don't think so. Okay, well, that's a plus one. And Callista, do you distrust me because of my abilities? Do I distrust you? No. I trust you. You're very useful. Okay, then that is also a plus two. The next thing that we do when we're creating kind of this uh, setting is we're going to be determining scarcity. So scarcity is a kind of RNG element that I wanted to bring in to kind of um, take a little bit of the prep work off the shoulders of the speaker and make it a little bit more collaborative. So scarcity affects one of five resources which in turn affect one of your main stats when you're dealing with something related to that scarcity. So for example, if the scarcity is medical supplies, then any plus hand rolls related to medicine, injuries, uh, etc. will be affected. This kind of allows you to quickly add another layer of complications to a crisis um, that can really drastically change the way that players approach problems. Um, I've run a couple of pre-mades uh, that are the same scenario during playtests to kind of see how they uh, worked with different groups, but each one had a different scarcity, and they all ended up playing really different games, um, which was kind of just fascinating to see just how much one little thing can change the way that you approach a problem or approach kind of a scenario. Um, so with that in mind... One of you gets to volunteer to be the uh, person who rolls for the scarcity. And there's a chart one to six. Um, and from one to five, there's predetermined scarcities. And if you roll a six, then you have to pick and you guys get to decide which one you want to be your scarcity. So, uh, yeah, who's going to roll? Oh, I'll do it. Okay, here we go. Up six. Oh, good. Nice. Yay. You guys get to pick your scarcity. What do you guys want to uh, have be a resource that you are currently lacking. The scarcities are oxygen, medical supplies, food, water, or fuel slash energy. Well, not food because I added a cafeteria and I'm very proud of it. Yeah, if we, if we added a cafeteria and a greenhouse and we're like, where is the food? <laughs> What's going on? Any strong opinions, anybody? I sure would love to have food, water, and oxygen. Those seem vastly important. Yeah, so do medical supplies. Um, what about fuel slash energy? If this is kind of a colony that's just kind of in the beginning stages of getting off the ground, it would maybe make sense if a lot of those kind of infrastructure isn't quite set up yet. 
I like that. I think that makes sense. I mean, I don't like it, but I'm not going to like any of the answers. So yeah, that's solid. I think it's, yeah, extra terrifying the idea that we might be trapped in an underwater prison and the power goes out, but I'm very much into the idea and it makes sense. Okay. I'm excited about this one. Yeah. (laughs) Underwater in the dark. (laughs) All right. So with that in mind, um, let's go over the basics. I'm not going to make you go over every basic move just because that's a little time consuming and you'll kind of get an option to look them over and uh, play them in the game and kind of learn as you're going. But we do have a, a reference sheet for spacers that have all the basic moves on them when you need them. So if you need to check it, it's going to be right there really quickly. Um, you also have your own unique moves, obviously, that you have access to. So if you have any questions about them, you can always ask me. Um, I think you guys have a pretty good grasp on those. Uh, generally, when people are making a spacer that isn't a variant, they get to pick their moves as well. So there's uh, options to do that. And then when you level up, that is also an option that you can choose to pick a move from your playbook currently or from another playbook. There's two ways that spacers can suffer in this game. Uh, so there's the normal way, which is taking harm, which I think we're all very familiar with. And then there's the other way, which is taking stress. So harm is physical, and it can kill you, obviously. Um, also, even if you don't die, taking too much harm can actually really hurt your spacer, and it's called a scar. So when a scar happens after you've taken five harm and become unstable, um, you then take a permanent for the session, not forever, but permanent for the session, negative one on any stat that you think would be related to that scar. So it's actually the spacer's choice, uh, what stat gets reduced by negative one, um, and they kind of get to decide on narrative flavor, hey, you know, I got shot in the arm and now I've gone unstable, but my arm isn't quite the same and it's going to take a while to heal, so I'm going to take a negative one on hand for the rest of the game. Um, so that's a scar and that's what happens when you just take too much harm and you kind of get hurt too often. The other way that spacers kind of struggle is stress. So stress is emotional rather than physical and uh when you just become too stressed, you've run into too many problems and you're just having a, a hard time taking it all in, you become exhausted. After a spacer is exhausted, their next three rolls are bumped down a tier. So uh, if you've rolled a success, then it becomes a mixed success. If you've rolled a mixed success, then it becomes a miss. And if you roll a miss, things just get really, really worse. Ooh. So when you roll a miss, the nice thing is that uh, you get experience. So at five experience, you level up. When we are doing a one-shot like we're doing today, one of the suggested alterations that I have in the handbook is that you start your spacers off with two experience marked already so that they get a chance to kind of level up in the first game and see what it's about and kind of get to make those choices on the fly. Also, one of the things that we have in this game is a mechanic called intuition. Uh, intuition lets you roll uh, an instant success if you need to. So um, it's kind of uh, essentially if you've rolled a fail and you think that it really needs to work out and you're just like, this has to, this has to go the way I need it to go. You can say, I'm using an intuition and it will retroactively make whatever you just rolled into a full success. For the one-shots, I kind of suggest to limit intuition down to one. So for our game today, you guys get one 
intuition to use for the whole game. And after that, once it's been used, you are essentially done for. And what done for means is if you don't have any more intuition left, uh, your misses are all kind of treated as like a hard failure, meaning that I get to go at you with the worst moves that I have as the speaker. But the nice thing about this is that like, uh, it kind of adds a little bit of danger. So you kind of know that I can use this at any point, but after that, things might go very, very wrong. And the other thing that happens mechanically when you become um, done for, essentially, is that you permanently mark off three stress boxes. This means that you can't recover them. They're gone forever, meaning that for the rest of the game or the rest of the campaign, depending on what you're playing, uh, you become stressed far more easily. The thing that is helpful, though, is that spacers can protect themselves from stress with a thing called the heart shield. Um, this is based off of your plus heart stat. So if you have, like, let's say, plus two heart, then that is going to be considered your shield. Um, think of it like a video game where you have, like, a temporary shield that, like, if you get shot once, twice, uh, the shield takes the hit. And then after that, it's gone. And then your health would take that hit. This kind of functions the same way. You're Heart shield allows you to take a couple hits um, before you really start taking that stress. So if you don't have a heart shield, if you are at zero heart for your stat, then you just don't have that. It's not going to protect you. If you do have one, then it's going to protect you for a little bit before you start to take that stress. And after that, once it's gone, the only way to get it back is to do a move called take a moment. And take a moment is where you really get to say like, hey, I think this is a moment where uh, it's quiet. We're just going to take a moment and we're going to de-stress really quickly. And for uh, every person who takes a moment in that moment, so if it's like three spacers, you take one stress off of your box for each person participating. And you don't all have to participate when someone takes a moment. You can say like, hey, I'm not. I need to keep going. Um, but it just means that you're not going to be able to take that stress off. Um, and yeah, that's it. Those are the basics. Any questions? I don't think so. So with that in mind, let's get into it. It's quiet aboard the CR-4079 long-range shuttleship. At first, the halls are dark, only gently illuminated by the green glow of the sleep cycle lights. After a moment, though, the harsh blue of the overheads flick on with an electric hiss, and a deep hum begins to fill the waking ship. Oakley Northwood, you're pulled out of a dreamless sleep to the familiar repetitive beep of the cryopod's vitals monitor, and the pod door unseals itself with a squeaking hiss sliding open above you. It's been a month since you left Arcadia and entered the chamber, but the shuttle has finally entered the last leg of its journey home, and as senior officer aboard the ship, it's time for you to get up and prepare for arrival. What do you do? Uh, I imagine the first thing I do is go to my locker and put all of my stuff back on, um, get kitted up so that I'm prepared for whatever eventuality may come, and then start uh, doing my rounds. Make sure that everybody else who's in a sleep chamber is still like vital and okay, uh, and then go around the ship and make sure that the systems are operational, that nothing seems out of the ordinary, and we are clear for our uh, our final approach. And as you're doing your rounds, you start to hear the slow beep as the cryo chambers adjacent to yours uh, start to wake up people uh, who are scheduled for waking up and uh, kind of the hiss as those start to open. Um, as you're walking the ship, uh, you kind of notice something a little bit strange. 
The ship is supposed to have been basically unused this whole time. The long-range shuttles are designed so that they can go for about a year, if need be, uh, if the cryo chambers fail. Um, the oxygen is always on just in case they fail and people have to get up suddenly. The lights are always on just a little bit. Uh, and there's about a year's worth of food and water stored in the emergency rations area. Um, what you notice as you're walking and doing your rounds is that this rations area, which is a cupboard that is generally sealed, seems to have been opened. Is there any evidence that this would be like vermin? Like that maybe rats or the equivalent could have gotten into the food? Why don't you go ahead and roll a survey the scene for me? So this is plus head as your stat. Eight. Okay. So on an eight, you get to ask me one question from the list. What happened here? So you've definitely been on some ships that have had vermin. Um, you've worked out as a merc on two-bit, low-budget uh, jobs where just nothing is quite up to code. The colony's ships are brand new, and they've been taking great pride in making sure everything looks as shiny and as up-to-code as possible. And there isn't really any evidence that there's vermin on it. You don't see any droppings. You don't see anything that might hint otherwise. What you do see is one greasy little fingerprint right at the edge of the cupboard door for the emergency rations. Like obviously little, like a child's fingerprint? It's very small. Certainly. All right. Then I think I know that we've got a stowaway somewhere on board. Uh, so for the remainder of the rounds, that's what I'm looking for first. I'm going to try and find a trail, you know, wherever something leads from this cupboard to wherever the stowaway has stowed away. Okay. If it seems clear that it's a kid, I don't think I'm like drawing down on them or anything. I'm probably just looking around. Yeah, I think we're going to have you do that. But before we do, while this is happening and you're kind of looking around trying to figure out what's going on, Callista and Mr. Q, you two have uh, been woken up in your cryopods. Uh, they've kind of warmed up and the cover has opened. Um, and it's kind of time to get up and, and get ready for this approach to the colony planet. As you're kind of waking up, you hear a voice next to you and to one of the pods. It's Juliet Macy, who you met on Arcadia. She actually came with North. Um, her job was essentially to be the person who introduces you to the colony, who kind of briefs you before you arrive. And you kind of hear her talking. Uh, Ambassador, uh, Mr. Q, are, are, are you awake yet? Uh, yes, I believe I am mostly functional at this point. Yes, can we help you, Miss Macy? No, no problem. Uh, I just, I need to get you the uh, stuff. It looks like we're going to be approaching the colony soon. Uh, I have the files for you. And you see her as she gets up and walks over towards the uh, essentially table in the middle where um, a couple of screens have been placed around it. And she starts to tap at it and kind of pull up some files. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think I'll come over and, and kind of see what she's doing. I just kind of want to get a gauge of what this process is. Uh, yeah, okay. I think uh, I think Six, uh, who is this very tall, like muscular woman with this short, dark brown hair, dressed in a very stylish uh, gray suit that looks not quite as stylish as the pristine white suit that I'm wearing, <laughs> um, goes over to my pod and helps me out of it. Uh, but then, yeah, I'm going to go follow <laughs> Macy. Okay. And you see as uh, Macy kind of just 
soon as Six comes into view, not cowers, but shrinks a little bit away from her. And when you met her on Arcadia for the like brief, probably about hour before you all got into the cryopods, you could tell that this young woman is just very intimidated, both by you and by your bodyguard. She was shaking like a leaf before she got in the pod, and it turns out she just hasn't stopped shaking. Um, and so as soon as uh, Six pulls you out and you start to walk towards the table, she kind of like, uh, um, um, we, we've got the, the, all the briefs for you. If you need them, just, uh, let me know if you have any questions about the colony. Um, uh, I'm here to help. <laughs> Fantastic. And Yulia Lake is expecting to see us? Yes. Um, as soon as we get within comms range, uh, as long as they're, uh, ready for us, they'll, they'll call us and you'll be able to speak to her. Um, and I'll make sure that that goes through. Deep breaths, dear. Deep breaths. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Yeah, I'll just start looking at the files. And you see, uh, it's basically all the same information that you've kind of gone over before uh, when you were first kind of given the option to take this assignment uh, at Arcadia. It gives you a map of the uh, colony. It describes uh, the mining that they do there. They tend to mine. Um, they've found really rich veins of platinum and iridium and tellurium, all things that are really desperately needed by your planet because they're very vital to being used in technology. The things that you are uh, essentially exporting without them, your planet is really struggling. So this could be an amazing deal if you can secure it. And and yeah, and you just see a couple other things. You see that there's actually a note uh, made for Mr. Q on the side that says your contact with the Waitani representative is um, Kaya Stoller, who is also uh, on the colony working with the admins in relation to the governor. Um, and it's just a bunch of uh, otherwise inconsequential information about what the colony does and what their goals are. Um Gives you a note about how the population is still quite small because they haven't been able to like really attract anyone yet and that that's really what they're hoping to get from you. Um, and also that Julia Macy is here to help you as much as she can. She's here to be your personal assistant, um, also to be your personal photographer. Um, but yeah, that's basically what's kind of there. And you kind of sit down to the table and, and start to absorb the information that you know you're going to need as soon as you land at this colony. Uh, did you say her name is Juliet or Julia? Juliet. Okay. So she's Juliet Macy. Cool. Thank you. And she's actually an intern for the governor. Oh, goodness. Um, who you would, yeah, who you would know, Norris, because you've uh, had some run-ins with her, but she kind of reacts the same way to you that she reacts to uh, the ambassador and the governor and the bodyguard and basically anyone <laughs> at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of what you see before you at the table. Um, and while this is happening, you know, North, you're off kind of trying to follow this trail. Tara, you have been stuck in this ship alone for a month. Everybody's been sleeping. Tell us a little bit about how you got on the ship, because you were not supposed to be here. Uh, give us a little idea of how you got back on the ship, why you got on the ship, and maybe what you've been doing since. Yeah, so I think when I was escorted off of Iceberg, um, I was dressed in the clothes that my parents put me in, a very nice, fancy dress. Uh, I have hair that goes down to, like, my knees. It's long and straight and black. When I was... Uh, dropped off on Arcadia, I asked if there were any toys that I could play with while the grown-ups were talking. And when I went off on my own, I ditched the dress and I had some long flowy black pants 
and like a long sleeve black shirt. And then I French braided my hair and had my my aviator's cap that I uh, kept with me. And I snuck back to to where the ship was that we had left from. And I hid in a, a cupboard that had a bunch of cleaning supplies in it. Okay, yeah. And you got left on Arcadia with uh, your aunt, who is infamously known for kind of being a space case. And the fact that she immediately lost a child after taking one into her care. It's not surprising. Probably a little disappointing. And I trust that she does not want to tell my parents that she lost me. So I figured I would have uh, some time to get back before... She realized she could not track me down and had to tell my parents. So I think I uh, I waited until we had taken off and I crept out of the cupboard and I saw that everybody was asleep. And I think I definitely peeked in and looked at everyone and tried to see who I could, if I could recognize anyone and kind of familiarize myself with how many people there were. Uh, and then I found the snacks and it was just party time all the time. I stayed up as late as I wanted. It was great. <laughs> Watched all the rated R vids on the console. Yes, that were included. Yeah. <laughs> just just Jurassic it's Park. Just, that's the only it's one. Jurassic Park over and over again for a month. I yeah. absolutely have no problem with that. Uh, yeah. So I think when North finds me, I'm not even hiding. I didn't realize how close we were. I was like, oh, I got a month. Uh, and I, I'm asleep on a table just covered in wrappers. Just every, every dessert MRE that you have. Yeah. There's crumbs all over my face, and I am passed out and holding a little stuffed possum. I let out a big sigh and just kind of like tilt my hat backwards and sit down at one of the chairs at the table and just vaguely poke her awake. <gasps> what? Oh, oh no. Oh no. Is it time already? Yeah, it's time. Oh no. Oh no. Oh shoot. Oh, North, don't tell them I'm here. Please, please don't tell them I'm here. Dadgummit, Tara, you aren't supposed to be here. This was my one job. This was my one job. What are you doing back on this ship? I know, I'm sorry. I just, I wanted to go home and I knew that my aunt wouldn't let me do anything fun there. And I just, I'm sorry, but please, please don't let them know who I am. Juliet's here. She'll tell my moms. Please, please. You know Juliet's going to recognize you as soon as she sees you. Don't let them know I'm here. You can't live on the ship for the rest of your life. You're going to have to get off it at some point. Yeah, when we get back to Iceberg. Just let, I'll, I'll go back in the cupboard. Just, just, I'm sorry. I meant to clean up. Before you guys woke up, I didn't know how long it was. And I'm and I'm just like <laughs> sitting up on the table, like reaching my hands out around me, just like scooping all of the wrappers into a pile. <laughs> <laughs> Look, kid, I like you fine, but there ain't no way that I'm going to lie to your parents when we get back to town about you not sneaking back onto this ship. They, they're not going to ask. You don't have to lie about anything. They would never ask. And there's no way that my aunt could let them know by now. It's fine. They're going to lock me up again, North. You weren't really locked up. You were sent to stay with your aunt. That's not like... You're making it sound like a prison sentence. It's sort of a vacation. No, it's basically a prison sentence, especially uh, when I'm home. I have to stay in my room. They don't let me go anywhere, and they were talking about how it's dangerous, but I sneak out, like, every night. And I pull out my folded knife. <laughs> Are you threatening me? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm holding it out and showing it to him. Like, I'm fine. I can take care of myself. Stop it. Stop telling me things that I'm going to have to lie about. No one's going to ask you. Okay. All right. Look, I got to finish my rounds. I got to make sure we're set for our final approach. You get back in this cupboard. We're going to discuss this later. Okay? okay? No promises. But for the moment, you just keep your head down. I won't tell anybody unless they ask. And then I'm probably, I, you know I'm not a good liar. I'm going to have to tell them. No, please. 
Who's that? (laughs) 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 Yes. Oh, um, welcome, Mr. Q. How was your cryogenic slumber? Dreamless. As it should be. Is there anything that I can do for you to make you more comfortable as we come in for our landing at Iceberg? Yes, I've just come looking for something to snack on. I found myself quite peckish after the sleep. I think I'm just frozen on the table. Like, I've been watching so much Jurassic Park, I think if I don't move, he can't see me. <laughs> I think I think I'm like I've got I'm like facing Mr. Q. I've got her behind me and I've got like a hand behind my back like snapping and pointing to like go somewhere else while I'm talking to him. Yeah, if he says he's hungry, I just like pick up a <laughs> pick up a bar and like scoot it forward and I like sneak backwards off the table really slow to go go get into the cupboard. Can I interest you in this fine food bar? Yes, that is actually perfect. Tremendous. Well, you go on, make yourself comfortable, get ready for our landing here, and I'm going to go around the ship and finish my rounds. All right. (laughs) I leave. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and and you head back out into uh, the main body of the ship. So the nickname for this ship, they're supposed to be long-range shuttle ships. That's generally the accepted term, but you just call it the shuttle bus. Because it is literally just mainly a kitchen area, which is the area where uh, Tara was currently napping amid her horde of wrappers. Um, And then a kind of restroom area right next to it, very much like an airline, uh, very small restroom. And then the cryopod area, which is essentially the bus seats. Everybody uh, gets stuck in a cryopod and that's where they live uh, as long as everything goes right, along with kind of the central, like, table living area for when people wake up and kind of have to get ready to go into a, a, an atmosphere and land. Um, and then there's the the front navigation area, which is where the um, screens telling you what's going on with the ship, uh, how far you are to reach your destination, um, et cetera, kind of are located. And as you're exiting this kind of kitchen area and heading into the main body of the ship, you can see at the front uh, that one of the screens has lit up and on it is a projection of the uh, planet, planet Granis, um, where Iceberg is located. It's this small ice planet just hanging out in the void uh, on a binary star system that is just, from what you can see, completely inhospitable, at least on the surface. Um, and as you kind of approach this console area, you can see a bunch of data coming up telling you that you are about five minutes out from entering into the uh, path to get onto the planet and land at the colony. Is there anything any of you want to do before heading in? I'm going to sit at that console and try to avoid having to talk to anybody uh, so I can keep my terrible secret. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm just uh, getting everything in order, making sure... All of my equipment is clean and set and ready to go. Okay. Yeah. I think I took all the wrappers with me. So I'm just sitting in the cupboard, holding them in my lap, trying to be real, real quiet. It's Which is difficult because there's a lot of wrappers. Uh, yeah. I think I'm also just uh, reviewing my notes and making sure that any sort of last minute touch-ups of my hair and my makeup are uh, pristine so that we're ready for a nice uh, welcome to the colony photo right when we leave. And so as you guys are kind of making these preparations and kind of getting ready, the ship enters into a 
kind of descent route. And you can see it mapped out on that big screen that was uh, come to life above the uh, above the main console. And as you're watching, there's this moment, because the screen isn't actually a window. You can't see anything outside. It's all very solid. Um, there's a moment where you hit the very minimal atmosphere. Like, it's almost non-existent, and the entire uh, ship shakes just for a second. And then it goes quiet for a moment. And then there's this immense sound of rush as you feel the impact of the ship as it slides into what is essentially as North would know from previous uh, ventures in and out, a hole that has been uh, opened to the ice and the ship goes in and hits the water. And then there's just this moment of quiet as the entire ship powers down its external engines as it kicks on the submersible engines that kind of power it slowly through the water towards the colony. And as this is happening, the autocoms come on and start to fizzle and pop. And you hear kind of the static noise uh, come over the, the, the communications that is trying to connect to the colony. Does it seem like I need to like fix something or does it seem like they're going to get through to me in a second? You know that sometimes um, it takes a moment for the communications to kind of kick through. And so you wait and you wait and all you hear is static. CR4079 Communications, this is the shuttle bus. Uh, I'm not reading you if you're trying to communicate. Are you reading me over? There's just this long static, kind of interrupted a little bit by spikes that may or may not be something trying to get through. Um, but it just doesn't seem to be quite connecting right. Oakley Northwood, is there a situation with the comms? Daggum, you going to have to stop sneaking up on me like that, Mr. Q. My apologies. Um, yeah, there seems to be some some sort of issue. I'm not really a uh, communications guy, so I'm, I'm not sure what it is. Maybe we're just out of range or maybe there's something in between us and the uh, the comms tower. I'm going to keep trying to reach out to them here as we approach, but uh, the ship will take care of the rest of it just fine. So hopefully whatever the problem is, we can uh, figure it out once we dock. All right, that works. Unless you've got some sort of communications expertise, I wouldn't say no. I don't believe I do. <laughs> <laughs> there is a move for user repair an advanced item. Mm -hmm. So I will, I'll give you guys this um, because... You never played this before, with one exception. Use or repair an advanced item is one that you could use. Um, there's also survey the scene to kind of get an idea of what's happening. Um, or you can talk to the people that are around you. So, for example, you do have an NPC at your availability. Like, those are kind of the options that you could take here. I do know a little bit about some of these systems. I could take a look. I guess I want to, you know, just kind of get down and, and see if I can notice anything on the panel or anything about our ship that might be messed up that's causing this. Yeah. Uh, go ahead and roll survey the scene for me then. Boxcars. So that's, that's a nice. 14. Yes. So you get to ask me two questions from that list. I guess simple question here. Uh, can I see anything that happened here? Looking at this panel and kind of based off of the knowledge that you have, just from your training and previous experiences, uh, doesn't look like there's anything wrong with the panel itself. But as you're pulling up one of the screens to kind of give you uh, more information, you do notice that there seems to be a very high spike in solar flare activity that may or may not be interfering with the communications. Um, it's unclear whether or not that's the direct culprit, but it seems like it might be something that might be happening. Oh, okay. You can, I will say, if you want to hold on to your next question, um, as long as it's relevant on this ship, 
I will allow you to hold on to that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think I've kind of answered what I had in my head with that, so I'll just turn to the group. I believe everything is fine on our end, with the exception that there is some sort of spike in solar activity that may be interfering with the comms. Miss Macy, how many times have you made this round trip? Um, uh, uh, round trip? N- no, this is my first time. Uh, I-, I-, I did arrive um and it's something that you know uh they did kind of inform us that that might be a an issue sometimes but it's not typically um it's it's why the colony is generally considered best placed under the ice because it's supposed to block that oh of course that makes sense a solar flare could cause many different effects it would seem that if simply the comms are down for the moment that may not be too bad we'll just have to get in and see how their systems are working. Yeah, so you guys kind of realize that uh, you're not sure if it's the solar flares that are causing a problem, but somehow the communications have been interrupted or are not connecting, or maybe there's just something going on on their end, Um, but you just can't seem to get in touch with the colony, which is fine because it looks like the, uh, the autopilot has not been having any issues. It seems to be heading towards the colony itself. But it is strange that you don't get any kind of signal from them at all. I think, like, if we're getting to the point where we're about to dock and we still haven't gotten anything, um, I would just kind of say to everyone, like, there still seems to be some kind of issue. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but just for the sake of caution, I'd like all y'all to hold tight once we dock. Let me uh, let me step off first and uh, you know make sure there's no no issues, no dangers. It is my job to protect all of y'all and all that. So. Just hold tight on the ship for a moment after we uh, make our arrival, and, and I'll let you know when we're clear to get off. Thank you, Oakley Northwood. You can just call me North, Mr. Q. That ain't necessary. I don't think I react. <laughs> <laughs> um, but after a moment, I actually do turn. Pardon me. I am peckish again, and I'm going to turn and go back into the kitchen uh, and go over to the cabinet and open it. Ah! Please, it's obvious that you are trying to err on the side of stealth. Tara Lake, yes, I am aware of who you are. I have done my studies in coming to this colony. There seems to be some technical difficulties, so please be cautious, quiet, and ready for anything. Enjoy, and I'll shut the cabinet. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Callisto, was there anything that you were getting ready for, or are you just kind of uh, hanging out? I mean, I think I'm just uh, sticking close to, uh, to Juliet and sort of... Um, letting her prep me on things. Um, I probably would send Six to go get me like a, uh, a water bottle or maybe an energy bar from the kitchen. Um, but other than that, no, just waiting. And Six walks into the kitchen and heads straight towards the cupboard and opens it and <laughs> uh, reaches in, doesn't even look down, just reaches in, pulls out a water bottle, pulls out uh, an MRE bar, slowly looks down, raises an eyebrow. Find your own hiding spot. This one's mine. There. And then just shuts the door <laughs> and comes back and hands you a water bottle and a, a nice chocolate peanut butter MRE bar. So uh, as you guys are kind of getting this prep going, um, the signal to take a seat for the auto dock co- goes off and there's just this beep, 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 beep. And you hear as um, essentially what is the sound of a rush of water filling a chamber. Um, and you 
know from experience that this is the water lock, air lock, whatever you want to call it, that is letting the ship in. And there is a moment where this loud metallic banging happens as the clamps that hold this shuttle bus in place so that when the water drains, it doesn't just fall, uh, come and hook themselves onto the side of the ship. And then there is another sound as the water is drained from this airlock as the external dock is attached to the uh, the airlock of the ship. And you hear this hiss and suddenly the door to your uh, right opens and there is the dock leading onto the colony ship. I think I will step out of the ship gun in hand and have a brief look around to see like if it seems like there's anybody here waiting for us like if if they were also confused by communications being down or if there's some kind of trouble as you step off the ship you enter the observation deck this is the spot the the main attraction when they were designing the colony this was supposed to be a place that when people came this was what stuck with them they saw the feat of engineering that was this uh, amazing uh, attempt at building something out of nothing. Uh, it's mostly empty. Uh, there's a couple of well-kept shrubs and, and very low-profile plants to kind of add that sense of greenery and a few benches. But the main attraction is this giant window that looks down into the fathoms of the ocean, this deep, dark abyss that is just unknowable. And above it, this bright, blue, translucent sky that is the ice. It is awe-inspiring. And generally, on a normal day, even you would have had to take a moment to take it in. But today isn't a normal day. Because as you step off the ship, what you were expecting was a busy observation deck with a few people taking their breaks, looking out into the ocean and thinking about what they're really trying to create here. And instead, what you see is a room full of darkness. All the lights are off except for the emergency lights. And the only light really shining in is coming from the ice outside. And it's empty and quiet. And there isn't a soul to be seen anywhere on the colony. In Starhold... You play as a group of spacers struggling on the fringes of the last great frontier, scraping by in a cold universe. Out here, even the smallest mistake can mean extinction, and help is a long, long way away. To find out more and get your copy, visit StarholdRPG.com. You can also find Starhold on Twitter at StarholdRPG. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. How much do you know about cryonic preservation? Cryonic preservation. The preservation of human beings at extreme low temperature. You mean like like uh, Walt Disney? Now, I swear to God, if you say anything about Walt Disney's frozen head, I'm hanging up this phone right now. Swear to me, you've never heard of the Red Valley Seabolt until I just told you. I swear. You swear. Could you take your hand off my knee? Look, Warren, if they're sending the butter wouldn't melt new boy looking for Red Valley, it'll be for a reason. Trust me. People are losing their lives in this company. We pulled him out too soon. He is awakening exactly as we planned. He's dying on me! We're all murderers here. Bryony, you, me, that doorman probably. Guy on the corner there with a the neck tattoo. I bet he's killed someone. Would you like to cut his head off? I'm sorry. The saw is funny. 
Gordon, why are you sharing this stuff with me? Why are you smiling? I don't know. I smile when things get awkward. Get in your golden bullet, pick me up. You want to go to Red Valley? You want to go to Red Valley? Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley is available on all podcast providers. Do you want to continue?